I think a lot of times I've been in churches that they're just waiting for the, the rock star to walk through their doors that's just ready to go. They're 100%. Like, if that happens for you, great, but I think that's the exception of the rule. This is the Church Growth Nation Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Ross Turner with the Vibrant Agency, and we're talking to Travis, the main man, Clark, who has no idea how to buy hats. He just buys random things from Ross Dress for Less and puts them on. Uh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not editing that out. Giants. Yeah. Well, it's okay. It's okay. You'll still make it to heaven. But um, I wanted to just... <laughs> I just wanted to introduce everybody to you guys. I mean, Canvas Church is one of, as you know, uh, I love to talk about you guys. You're one of my favorite churches up there just because I like the culture. I like the uniqueness of your church. Um, one of the things that I find, Travis, is with ARC and with CMN and a lot of the other you know, big networks of churches, there's a lot of replication that happens. A lot of churches are kind of similar to each other in the classes, in the sermon series that they have, in the style of everything. And it's fun for me to, to work with you guys because it's different. You guys have your own DNA and you're very intentional about that. The culture of San Francisco where you guys are is different. And uh, I love it. And so I think... Um, if you wouldn't mind, can you just take a few minutes for the people who aren't familiar with you or the church, tell us about Canvas Church. Tell us about how you started in ministry and um, kind of what God put on your heart. Tell us about your family. Kind of give them a, an introduction to the church. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so uh, the church has been going a little over five years. It started on October 13, 2013, but uh, it, it obviously started as, as is the case with every pastor or church planner is the church starts, you know, years before the launch date in the heart of that pastor. And so uh, for us, it really began probably three, four years before uh, we actually launched um, just feeling this heart to uh, start a church um, in a place where there weren't a lot of churches and, uh, and in a place that we loved as well. And so we love San Francisco and, as many people know, there's just not a lot of churches here. It's kind of been a ghost town or a graveyard or kind of all the metaphors we've been given. And mm -hmm. then when we came, it's, it was it was pretty true. Um, but we really got there because um, I wasn't born or raised in the church. I wasn't, um, you know, born in the back pew. My uh, my wife has a very different story. She was born and raised in the church. Mom prayed with her every night. Um, you mm -hmm. know, just had that Christian house. It wasn't my story. So, I remember uh, being dropped off at a church by my dad. He had moved away when I was uh, younger and had come back to visit me on my birthday. And very long story short, there were just uh, I was beginning to get involved in drugs and alcohol and at a really young age. And so my dad, I think, just didn't know what to do with that. So he dropped me off at a church, uh, which ended up being uh, a blessing in disguise. As a teenager, you're like, this is weird. Why'd you do that? But uh, now that I look back, I think... Uh, you know, it really was God's kind of hand over my life. And he uh, dropped me off there and the youth pastor really uh, reached out to me and I think stepped into a role in my life that I needed uh, with my dad being gone uh, for, for a lot of it. And so um, I found something in the church and that was that, uh, that this sense of belonging, uh, this sense that I could have doubts and questions and, and not even believe because I, I definitely didn't go in and just start believing the first day. I was stubborn. I was uh, I was definitely a skeptic and, and not afraid to voice that. And um, over time, I just felt like, man, I could 
I can be here and I can be messy and I can be a person in progress. And yet there's this um, really powerful thing called grace um, uh, in this, in this church. And so um, when I started following Jesus, I really, uh, I just realized I want to be a part of building that. I want to be a part of building uh, a community where people like myself who are, uh, you know, coming in through the doors, they're angry, they're skeptical. Um, they have more questions than answers that they could go there and find a place to belong before they believe um, that they, you know, could be with us before they agree with us. They may never agree with us. They could still be with us. And, um, and so, uh, you know, that's why my wife and I started the church is, is really because we wanted to build a place for uh, people to belong no matter who you are. And so uh, San Francisco is a place where there just is not a lot of churches for, for people. And so uh, we, we felt what a great opportunity uh, for us to give our lives to something bigger than ourselves and to be a part of shaping a city that is in a lot of ways shaping the world. And so uh, we came here and we had 23 people move from Arizona where we were and, uh, and joined this church plant. And um, now five plus years later, we've grown from 23 to uh, about 350. And, and God's, been, God's been really, really good. We're excited that uh, the city, I don't think is a graveyard anymore. I really think it's a garden. And there's a lot of new things kind of bursting through the soil um, in, in San Francisco. Is your wife, um, is she born and raised in the church? Yeah, yes. Born and raised, mom prayed with her every night. You know, we have very, just very different stories, which is good because we, we can kind of, uh, you know, be well-rounded together. When did you hit in your um, story that you got to a point where you were saying, I, I'm going to be a pastor I, and, and like realizing, I think I'm actually going to do this? Pretty early on. I mean, I started following Jesus uh, later in high school and just my personality type has always been zero to a hundred and that applied to Jesus as well. I, I really, uh, when I crossed that line of faith, I was like, you know, not only do I believe, but I want to be a part of helping others believe as well and participate in what Jesus is doing. And so it was uh, probably junior year in high school. I had my eyes set on being an actor and being in film of, to some degree, but that all just kind of went out the window when I realized, hey, you know what? I if I could do anything with my life, it would be building the church. And, mm. uh, and so, uh, you know, really just set out on that track late in high school and uh, had a youth pastor opportunity uh, really early on in my life that allowed me to get my education, but also get my hands dirty in ministry. And uh, so now I've been in pastoral ministry in the church for 13 years. So what a unique situation. I mean, uh, San Francisco is known as a place that's incredibly liberal and is incredibly somewhat uh, anti-traditional church beliefs. Um, how do you handle that? Do you get pushback? Do you get people who are blatant haters? Do you have people who are more just skeptics, but they're open to it? I mean, what's your, what's your story on that? Yeah, I mean, we've heard all those things. I mean, before we moved out here, um, I think maybe we even had some of those assumptions that, you know, we're going to face all this pushback and people are not going to want us here and all that. I mean, we faced a couple people that just didn't like us because we were a church. But honestly, what's been so surprising is the amount of openness that is here, uh, the amount of receptivity to, um, to the idea of God and um, hope and love and justice and, and, and the good news. Like, it's really um, quite surprising how people are open here. Uh, because that wasn't what we were told before we came. Uh, you know, I, I have a guy named Senny who was at a sports bar here in San Francisco I would go to and hang out with. And 
uh, not a believer at all, but over the course of time, I was able to just ask him, I was like, hey, Senny, uh, you know, why do you think we're here? You know, what's what's this whole life thing about? And uh, he said, you know, I think we, uh, we're we here to, uh, to love this creator that's somewhere involved in this thing called life, and um, but also love our fellow man. And he doesn't use the categories or language maybe that I use, but um, we're actually very much on the same page. And so when I really realized, hey, um, we're actually, we probably want more of the same things than we don't. And uh, uh, that really was freeing to realize that that uh, this city wants hope and they want love and they want grace. And um, I feel a lot like Paul uh, when he goes into Athens and Acts and he points at all the gods. He's like, you guys are really spiritual. Like he doesn't go in and just start, uh, you know, firing on all cylinders. He's just kind of like, hey, you know, uh, you're really spiritual. He found commonality. And then he said, let me talk about this unnamed God. His name is Jesus. I feel like a lot of times that's what we're doing here, that we come in and we're like, man, you guys want community. You want love. You want hope. You want justice. Let's talk about Jesus because he wants all, all those things as well. And we found that out. People are, are far more receptive to that. And sure, there's some, you know, ethical and moral tensions that exist in a city like San Francisco. But, um, you know, we've really found at the end of the day, though, uh, that that we can we can eventually have great conversations on that. But um, there's a lot more in common than 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 not. Yeah. When you guys uh, are planning a sermon series or planning an event, uh, do you feel like you have to do things differently than a church that is in the Bible Belt, Texas, or something like that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, 100%. So, I mean, I would say a large demographic of our church, uh, maybe 40, 50% even, uh, is what would you would categorize as the nuns demographic, that they um, were given faith at some point in time, they were raised in a house of faith, maybe they even believed it, but uh, that faith broke down, um, or they found that the version of faith they were given was actually not helpful anymore, mm-hmm. even dangerous. Uh, and so they walked away completely from faith. Uh, we have found uh, that that demographic is strong in San Francisco and strong um, in our church. And so whenever we do a series, we're, we're really asking the question, hey, what is a, what is a nun, you know, N-O-N-E, not N-U-N, uh, but what is a nun, you know, uh, what tensions are they, they going to deal with when we talk about this? And and uh, we can't just say uh, the little kind of Christian platitude or bumper sticker because they heard that before they walked away from that faith. And so we've had to really think, how do we approach this at an angle that's fresh, that's new? It's not compromising truth, but uh, perhaps it's deconstructing the version of faith that they've walked away with and helping them reconstruct a new one um, that is built on Jesus and, and being an apprentice of Jesus. And so, uh, yeah, we, it changes everything. Um, and mm-hmm. I, like I said earlier, I think the biggest part is like, we just can't assume the bumper stickers are going to work here because they won't, or the, the little taglines are going to work here because they, they won't. Uh, the assumption, we can't assume everyone believes what we believe because they don't. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what's different from here versus Texas or the Midwest or Bible Belt is that uh, if they don't agree with you, they're going to tell you here like there's not this like hierarchical uh sort of system in place where they go well you're the pastor you obviously know more about this than i do like they don't care if you're the pastor if they think Mm. you're full of it they're gonna tell you uh which is which is fun i love that Mm. tell me tell me what was the the process when you were thinking of the name of the church 
because Canvas Church is such a cool name. How did that come to fruition? Yeah, you know, we really just believe that every human being was created by God to create. Um, We believe that we were imagined to imagine, like to be human is to create. Uh, We get that from Genesis 126, that um, in the the very beginning we were created in the image or likeness of God uh, to rule. In other words, you go back to the original language, uh, you could almost say in Genesis 126, God is put man and woman in this world and he's saying hey let's make a world together let's create something in partnership and so um canvas was just sort of the picture that worked so well with what we believed uh it meant to be human that life is this kind of blank canvas and this been and uh now together in partnership with god we can through whatever creative endeavor god has put you in whether you're an accountant or or a or a musician, or a lawyer, or a barista, or a janitor, um, to be human is to create, and so to live life fully alive is to follow Jesus in creating a future we're fighting for. And so that was uh, that was kind of the heartbeat behind the name um, and the visual of Canvas. I love, uh, tell me, the church is going well. You guys are growing. You're reaching new people. You definitely have a culture. You definitely have a unique identity, brand, whatever you want to call it. Uh, has it always been going well? Uh, were were there years when you doubted if you made the right decision, if you chose the right city? Um, is there anything that you would be comfortable sharing about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I'll say honestly, I've heard some horror stories uh, from other planters of their launch teams all leaving and they're alone and they want to, you know, multiple times just want to give up. I, I can't necessarily say that's our story. We're fortunate that 18 of the 23 people are still here five plus years later. We're very, very blessed with that and very thankful for them. Um, and we haven't necessarily had to fight the loneliness bug. I think that the, the, the battles we face uh, early on was I, I uh, you know, I think I put the, I put the wrong people in positions of leadership just because I needed a person in that position of leadership, you know? And for example, we had a worship leader, first six months of the church just was not a good fit, but I needed a worship leader. And after six months, I had to let him go. And that was uh, 99.9% my fault. Um, I should have vetted that out more. I should have had a better system and uh, it really set that leader up for, for more success um, or at least the opportunity to discover that this probably wasn't a good fit. And so that that's on me. I think that was a rookie mistake for sure to just rush. And uh, because you, when you're a planter, you're like, you know, we got to get anybody. Um, and I learned pretty quickly, no, you need the right people, uh, not just any person. Um, you need, you need the right leader, not just any leader. Um, and so I, I learned the hard way a little bit and that was tough because you go in the first year and you're like, man, we're going to, you have this vision and you don't want to fail. You don't want, you know, you don't want to make any bad calls. And then I did. And, and, you know, it, it worked out because I think in the, in the end, like I, once it was realized that, Hey, this is just not compatible. This isn't going to work. Um, you know, we kind of made a, made a move pretty quick. And uh, that person is now thriving where they are and we're in a better position. Like everybody won uh, because we were willing to kind of look that problem in the eyes. Um, so that was discouraging. I would, I would say probably the biggest battle I have faced though is, um, is as we've grown, um, really being, um, I guess, being okay uh, shutting down systems that worked when, it, when we were 50 to 100 people but realizing that system doesn't work anymore. 
uh, to get us from 100 to 200 or 100 to 300. You know, like we have to think differently if we're going to reach people that um, we're not reaching yet as we grow. And so, um, you know, it, it can be difficult because you, you kind of get used to that system working and you re- and then you start hitting the ceiling and realize, man, okay, we got to think differently. Um, and, and that's, I mean, it hits your pride, right? You know, because you have to admit something's not working or it's not working as good as it could have. And so that constant evolution of leadership and internal organization uh, is not been easy uh, for sure. But, um, you know, what's helped me is getting the right people in my corner that are wiser and have done ministry longer and that, that will, for lack of a better analogy, kind of be the trash can I can vomit in every once in a while. And then they'll give me, <laughs> you know, they'll give me some wisdom on uh, how to respond and, and how to move forward. So, um, yeah, yeah, organizational structure, I think for me has been the biggest battle because it's, it's evolving as we've grown. Uh, going back to when you had to let the worship leader go. Uh, I mean, I totally resonate with the problem that you had, which is I need this position filled. Let's just get somebody in there. Now, somebody is better than nobody. Um, and then it doesn't work out because it, you know, you can't, you can only train somebody so much. You can only adapt culture wise so much personalities and stuff. But what do you do? I mean, what do you, I mean, I'm even asking for myself, like, what do you do when there's a position that you need, but you don't have the perfect person or you can't afford the perfect person? Uh, what are you just supposed to keep the position vacant? I mean, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't know if there's a bulletproof answer for it, but I guess my recommendation for sure would be, you know, see, you know, who you can raise up, see who you have, and uh, and begin to really be intentional about pulling out the best leadership within them. You know, I think a lot of times I've been in churches that they're just waiting for the, the rock star to walk through their doors that's just ready to go. They're 100%. Like, if that happens for you, great, but I think that's the exception, not the rule. I think um, it's our job as leaders to... Uh, call out the potential and promise and those that um, that we get to serve and lead. And so if you have somebody that, hey, they're 50%, okay, right now that's all, we can't hire a, somebody that's at 80 or 90. We have somebody that's at 50, um, you know, so we're going to we're gonna have a very honest conversation about what it, it's going to look like to get them from 50 to, to 60 um, over this next year. And, uh, and just taking it one day at a time. Um, you know, I think that's, especially when you can't hire, um, you got to be faithful with what you have and not despise small beginnings. Um, because you never know, you may have a diamond in the rough. And by just waiting for, you know, uh, somebody that's at like a Hillsong level, you know, worship leader to walk through your doors, you, you may be missing uh, the answer to your prayers right in front of you the entire time. But like God is calling you to be a catalyst in their leadership. And so, um, you know, don't run from the challenge, run towards it. And uh, see it as an opportunity, not an obstacle. I think a lot of times it really does come down to your perspective. Like your your biggest problem often often isn't your problem; it's your perspective on on your problem. And so, if you're looking at your team, you go, "Well, there's nothing here. We're never going to get anything with them." Well, guess what? You're probably going to get what you expect. But if you if you look at your leaders and go, "Hey, you know what? No, there's untapped in, there's untapped potential here." Um, and I'm going to invest in them and pull the best out of them and be intentional about getting them from 50 to 60, then 60 to 70%. Then uh, I think that attitude, um, not only will your leaders be better because of it, your ministry will be better and then you'll grow and you'll be able to have those sort of hiring conversations 
Um, so I would just say, hey, look, check your perspective, check your people, and, uh, and you know, trust the process. Um, you know, trust the process. If, if you're pulling out the best in people and you have a clear vision, you're going to be okay. Um, and uh, and it's, it's going to work out. But, you know, don't rush it. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. Rick Warren who said it, you know, hire slow, fire fast. And uh, I don't, I'm sure he took that from somebody else. But I think it's a good rule of thumb. Hire slow, fire fast. Um, you know, the work, probably, you know, most of my mistakes have been when I brushed people um, in positions of leadership that they weren't ready for yet. So what was your, which position was your first hire and which one was your second hire? Yeah. So our first hire was worship. Um, which is unique. Most of the time we were told kids uh, was so important and everything. San Francisco, there's literally more dogs than kids in the city. Like there's just, not, there's just not a lot of kids here. We, um, you know, in the neighborhood we were in, the church we were, we were really, really young and most of our people didn't have kids. So we knew though that um, there's something about music that brings people together, like really good music brings people together. You'll go to a, a, a Coldplay concert or a really good show and there's Republicans, there's Democrats, there's Christians, there's atheists. And for whatever reason, in that moment, when the music is really good, all those categories sort of go away. And so we, we really felt like, you know, we wanted to uh, invest in the environment of worship and music and make sure it was high quality um, because we felt like for a lot of people, um, you know, that's the, that's the thing that kind of gets them going, hey, man, I want this moves me, you know, and I want to come back because people aren't going to come back if they – don't feel better when they leave, you know, they're just not going to come back and worship or good music, at least good art moves people. And so we wanted to really get a good, uh, uh, musician to to begin to create that atmosphere. And, and your second hire, do you have that? Yes. Second hire, uh, our second hire was actually our family ministries and she was kind of a Swiss army knife. And she, we kind of brought her on because she was great event coordinator. We needed someone to help us with our small group events and uh, as well as like building up our family ministries as it began to grow. So we started getting a couple kids and we really realized like for the first six months, we're like, you know, we're going to wait till kids and families come and then we'll really start amping up our kids or our family ministries. But then we realized, and we should have realized this was that you know, when a family comes and if you have nothing there for them, they're not going to wait for you. They're going to go to the church that has that. So um, we really kind of our mantra was we're going to dress for the miracle. And so by bringing Ashley was her name on as their family ministries director, we began to dress for the miracle, believing, hey, we're going to get more families, more kids. And uh, and we brought her on to get us ready for that. And so and now we have a lot more families and a lot more kids. And I think it really does uh it's probably because we, we didn't wait for it. We, we prepared for it. Uh, when you were in Arizona and you made the uh, realization that you think God's calling you to San Francisco to, to plant this church, uh, how worried were you about the fact that you might be in poverty? Uh, that's a good question, man. See, my wife was more worried than I was. Uh, I am a the way I'm wired, I just always assume it's going to like, it's going to work out somehow, some way, even if we have to get scrappy, you know, like it's going to work. I would say my wife though was worried about that. Um, you know, a lot just because we were moved to San Francisco, the most expensive city in the country. Uh, it surpassed New York, a studio apartment. Um, you know, like if you wanted to be in a safe area of the city, you're not going to get it less than $1,700. And that's a small studio apartment. 
so, you know, we, we were really faced with those realities and yeah, it was a fear for sure. But, you know, um, yeah, we just decided to step out anyways. And the Lord has provided every step of the way. And now you make that 500 K a year. Yeah. You know, it's just going great. So easy now. Yeah. <laughs> 